In this episode, I am once again joined by Martin Fawkes, author, hermeticist, meditation adept, and memory expert. Martin takes us through a journey of the remarkable people he has encountered in his life as an occultist and meditation practitioner, including his close inner circle of adepts, a famous American ninja, bohemian occult masters, Freemason private detectives, nature mystics, and more. Martin also discusses his own career as a teacher, how he deals with online haters and stalkers, and why it is that so many students fall out with their teachers. So without further ado, Martin Fawkes. Martin Fawkes, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's, it's lovely to be here. I'm so delighted to be talking with you again. And we left the last episode on something of a cliffhanger when we uh, promised to come back for a sequel, and here we are. And the topic was going to be meetings with remarkable men. A kind yes. of play yes, on the group, Jeff, I think. Yes. Um, and as you can imagine, I've had a lot of time to contemplate and to think about, about that, about who the people I've encountered are and also the, who the people have taught me most. Because I think the, the implied... Um, mission of this wasn't just remarkable people you know you can meet remarkable people there are people who they're deep sea divers and they they actually go underwater for a whole month at a time and they're in compression you know so they they, they die if they rose up there's there's people you know of great academic interests and uh, with amazing skills people who survived some you know there's there's things that there's no no award for where people have really fought through illness or through despair for so long. And there's, you know, this, this battle is as big as any battle, which is external, but no one's going to put a statue up. So um, yeah, there's those kind of encounters I've had, but what I've been focusing on is what's, what's helped me, what's changed me, what people have I known or do know who have been uh, evolutionary and inspiring and uh would you know that just even telling the story may may help inspire others so the first thing I've, i'd like to tell you on that subject is i've in my adult life i've always had a very powerful positive and engaged group of friends around me and to the degree where people joke so people i know talk about the Illuminati, you know or, or they come up with other names you know kind of things and yeah so i i've got allies around me that i'm very excited by their success and they're very excited by anything i'm doing and we really do work as a very powerful team uh, to the point where there's no thought about, you know, favours and concerns about who does what and who pays for what or, or anything like that. And this is a diverse team of really inspired people. So you've got a lot of different skill sets. You need something creative or drawn or designed or you need something pitched or you need something discovered or you, you need to find out who you need to talk to in that team there's there's someone 
And that kind of support and momentum can't be understated. And um, I'm very aware that that's not the case for most people. So um, most people have got a great self-reliance and you know, I'm not, not saying I haven't got self-reliance, but I'm saying I, I've got great allies as well, which means that, yeah, the, that that really helps. And that creates a sense of forward momentum and enthusiasm towards the world. If you, if you read the diaries of 18th century gentlemen, they're, they're a bit like this, you know, one of them gets a, a stuffed polar bear and writes to everyone and they all go over to his house to look at it or someone's got a sort of rare bottle of wine and, and everyone's going to go and see that. Someone's got a display of optics on and they're going to this, this kind of this great enthusiasm for life and great interest in each other's interests. That's certainly part of part of my existence. Now, but 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 if we start to look at the past, I need to I need to give you two apologies or disclaimers as we continue. First of all, I'm not very good with dates of things. And so that's something I'm, I'm working on. I'm aware that most people are better at classifying things. So they say to me, what year was that? I think, how how am I possibly going to recall? what year that was it's vaguely around this time and likewise with the passing of time i often i've noticed misestimate things so i say oh of course you know we spent two years working on that people say no martin that was six months that's just six months that project how could you yeah so if anything is inaccurate here please be be clear it's it's lack of ability, not lack of willingness when it comes to times and things. The second apology I must give you is now and again, when I'm traveling, there will be a time where I'm swimming. I like to swim in the sea quite a lot. And now and again, about once every sort of three or four years, I'll misestimate things and really overdo it yeah so i end up coming back i'm okay when i initially come back you know i'm for fine i spent the whole day looking at you know swimming with turtles or spent the whole day trying to see swordfish or something but sometime in the next three days the fatigue hits me and there's nothing else in the world like it you, know, you and i could run for for miles we could lift weights we could take part in a boxing mat it wouldn't touch me in that way but the the whole day swimming does that and and we just got back from uh i was there giving a talk in puerto rico so uh they uh i still haven't it shows i still haven't learned my lesson with the sea there's some there's some powerful undercurrents there and you can end up a lot further out than you think you should be but talking of mistakes so and and things we we don't learn so quickly about in contemplating 
who who have I encountered who's really helped me in this path of enlightenment, who's really inspired me, who's really given me insight. I've spent a lot of time musing about it, and I've realised that often there are chance encounters with people I couldn't tell you their names at all. And often those encounters aren't seeing excellence. Sometimes they are. Sometimes I can see something that people are doing. Um, and I think, wow, you know, I can learn from that. But sometimes it's actually seeing something someone is doing which isn't working. And it's obviously not working. And it's, I learn from that because I immediately think, am I doing that? Am I doing that? If that's so off the radar. So I'll give you some examples, some examples of that. I was, when I was very young, I must have been, oh, this shows my definition of very young, I must have been 11 or 12. And I was at school and I was watching some of the, the other students there, they're playing football. They used to bring this, um, like a tennis ball in, or sometimes they had a, a foam ball and they'd play football every chance they got. And I never did. I wasn't that kind of, kind of boy. as you hear later, my interest was in martial arts and, and so on. And I was watching them and I realised I'd known them since we were very, very genuinely very young. We must have been five or six when we first went, you know, some of them went to the same school, you know, or whatever. Um, I realised they never got any better. What, how can that be? And I think it was in my mind, because I've been training in martial arts, and because I'd seen other people learning a musical instrument, you know, you start off with music and you can't even make a noise. You know, properly and eventually you can play the flute and with martial arts you start off with movements it becomes increasingly advanced i thought if if i if we did anything anything for the amount of time that these people are doing this you'd be superb and if i'd stopped uh, if every time we had a, a break i started practicing juggling from five all the way up to eleven or whatever, I would be absolutely, you'd have a circus act going. But I looked at them and I thought, well, there's no finesse or high skill. There's no, I think I could compete right now and hold my own with these people who have practiced so much. And I realized in the moment that there was something missing. Why was it, what was the part of them that wasn't engaged in play? that was engaged in practice. And that was, that's quite a, a moving insight for me. A few years later, I had another chance encounter that gave me another hint in this direction. And it's a lesson I've learned. And when we come to the our encounters with, with amazing people, it's something I've always tried to keep in mind. And it's something you can observe. You can observe yourself. This, you don't have to 
you know, have the chance moment I had, you can just wait till you see the next time someone asks someone else directions. So say, how do I get to, to Holborn Tube Station? And then watch the interaction. So the person responding, ah, right, Holborn, yes. Um, you go left along here, you wait till you get to the end of the road, turn right. Um, it's a bit tricky here because there's three turns on the left. It's the, if you watch the person receiving the, um, the instructions, after about the second or third sentence, they tune out. And it's some very suspicious behavior. They don't ask any questions. They say, oh, okay, hang on. You said the third o'clock. Is there any pub or landmark or anything I can see there so I can remember? No? Okay. And then and I go along here. So I do carry on. And there's a bridge. There's a bridge. Okay. What kind of bridge is it? Is it big, small? Are there any other? They don't do anything in that interaction to really get the message. And I realized I did the same. What I would do is, again, I'd ask and I'd tune out. And as much as it had gone in by luck or by, you know, osmosis, I'd follow and then I'd ask someone else. So I thought, well, what's going on there? Because the person does really want to know the information. They're about to try to walk there. Why? Are they not engaged to any kind of level that would actually show even making an effort? Even you know, they never ask the person to repeat. They never ask them to go back. They never, there's no visualization. There's no memorization going on. They're not trying to put something together. There's something not engaged in these everyday tasks or their heart's not there. How often have I been asking people for instructions on bigger things and I'm tuning out after the first few sentences. So you can imagine the, these two chance encounters, I tend to watch for things. I tend to watch for things. So I started to notice that likewise in other things, people would ask for help. That's, ah, you know, um, things aren't very good between me and my partner. And the moment someone started trying to help with that, they'd say, oh, hang on. You know, why, I didn't, why, are you, why are you trying to give me advice? They weren't after solutions. Or if you ask them, you know, um, they said, ah, oh, me and my partner aren't getting on very well. You said, so what are you doing? What are you doing about that? There was never a real plan. You know, you'd think if you had been married to someone, you know, 15 years, you could put together a charm offensive that would woo anyone. You know the things that exactly to do. No, it's actually just to say that the, the plan is normally complaining, just complaining about it. So looking at some of these, these chance encounters, for me, they've sort of really touched in my heart. And I made sure that I tried to eliminate these things from myself and look for the reasons why. Um, I'll tell you another experience a bit like this. I was sitting, I was in a Zen temple in Japan and there were people from all around the world there who were long-term residents and they do a, a stretching, a breathing technique. 
you stretch and hold for 30 seconds. And I looked around and I, I realized they did this twice a day and almost everyone in that room, people from all different descents of different ages and you know different backgrounds, almost all of them, when they lay forwards, they put their chest on their knees. And when they did the stretching, they'd be almost, if not in the splits. Hang on. So if you want to achieve that level of flexibility, it just takes the consistency of twice a day. And I realized that I knew people who were specialists. I knew people who were high degree backlogs, only people who were yoga instructors, and not one of them had the flexibility that these Zen practitioners who were just consistently stretching twice a day were gaining. It was a wake-up call. I looked at myself and I didn't have their flexibility. What was going wrong that this consistency wasn't existing outside this monastic center? even though the words were probably different. I mean, I, th I think if you walked up to most yoga teachers and said, do you practice every day? They'd say, yes. Evidently not with the kind of consistency these, these people are doing. So I think that often chance observations of, of things, especially I'm very intrigued when things don't ever get better or ever change. I've got friends who they've been slimming for the last 35 years. I'm intrigued by that. I'm intrigued by when it can't be solved and there's always a new plan and the new plan isn't one that's going to work. The one that's going to work isn't ever deployed um, or, or for long. I've got people, you know, we all know people who've got ongoing employment problems or relationship problems or something so i'm intrigued whenever i see something that's not working so that i can see you know i can reflect back and make sure that that's that's not uh, happening in me but the opposite is also true some of the people i'm going to tell you about i've spent a lot of time observing their small virtues and really taking note of the things that they're excellent at and why they're excellent and you know I, I try to make you know some kind of um underlying principle from it if I can see consistency between it so so here's a real important one I've noticed champions celebrate more than anyone else if you watch if you actually sit there next to a competition you watch you'll see the people at the top of almost any sport when they they succeed you know they they shoot that arrow and it hits the bullseye they don't just say brilliant they tend to celebrate three times tend to go yes then look at someone else yes and then as they walk away, they tend to be a, yes. And I think that's locking that into the mind. It's locking that into the mind. So as we carry on talking, uh, 
I suppose what I'm saying is let's let's really pay attention to these teachers, these people. Let's listen. Um, not just not like the person asking directions. Let's uh, you know. Let's listen as we should if we're asking directions. As we carry on, and I tell you about some of these these wonderful people. But let's um, not be like the the person sort of just playing the game or uh, you know playing the podcast in the background. Let's engage in a way that uh, is is like our juggling practice, not like like our football practice. Yeah. Let's be like those um, those Zen practitioners, and whatever we we hear or anything I say that you think, wow, yes, press that firmly in your heart, but repeatedly practice it because one repetition doesn't, you know, get you into the splits. And in a sense, a lot of this conversation is about celebration. Let's not just celebrate this once, you know, say, oh, that's a brilliant person, someone, Martin Mayer, that's an amazing thing. Let's repeat it. Let's repeat it to lock it in like those, those champions I was observing. Okay, so, Steve, are you ready? Are you ready for the meetings with remarkable people? I'm poised for these people. Okay. So obviously, the biggest influence all of us have in our early life would be those who bring us up, which would be normally be our parents. I was brought up in a, an interesting circumstance. My father's a, a scientist. I think I may have mentioned this in our last interview. And my, my mother um, has studied the same kind of areas, but she's more, she was actually working as a chef tutor more than anything else, but she had the food science, you know, degree and everything. My father is uh, sort of uh, functions more or less by Aristotelian logic. Yeah, so everything's very character and he's, he's always been very routine and disciplined very very honest and but statements are absolute so in fact in my childhood i knew that if he said we're leaving at eight o'clock we were leaving at eight o'clock exactly and there's no variation on things really you couldn't sort of plead your way into a, a different bedtime or anything and is a safe stable figure I think I saw him get angry once in my lifetime. In my in the whole of my childhood, I never saw him drink alcohol. I never saw him, you know, um, do do anything that could involve the loss of control. He's very, yeah. My mother, um, she she was inspiration, still is. And um, one of the things I was thinking, well, you know, how's how some of the, some of these early influences may be in, intriguing. My mother used to tell me tales of her mother, who was, uh, she was a, a clairvoyant. And she used to sort of almost be on call, you know, in, the Scot in Scotland, near Aberdeenshire, that uh, uh, the people would ask if they needed to contact someone or, or help with something. So I'd have stories of, uh, you know, the, this rural Scottish uh, experience of going to different houses and holding seances and this kind of stuff. 
my mother was always very interested in sort of what was unseen. Uh, my father was more interested, was far more uh, focused on scientific things. And I think I had this sort of duality. Uh, I think it was a beautiful duality when, when growing up. My sister, you know, she's two years older than me. But I think she's probably about six years older than me in her mentality, you know, <laughs> young. And I've always been very full of energy, very full of energy and uh, very interested. There's always an exciting plan. So I, I'm, she used to sort of have to sort of deal with this ball of fire sort of in living in the same house, you know. And I can remember a lot of the things between us were her teach me to imagine things and it's really a way to sort of harness this and maybe even you know distract me for a while and yeah I think I got a very early tuition in imagination you know from my from my sister and I think these these three sort of influence really combined and gave me a good start a really good start at school, uh, I think we mentioned a bit of my school life. The first remarkable encounter I think I had, uh, which became perhaps the greatest ally I've ever had it in life, especially on my path. Um, I was at sort of, we just started our sort of senior school. Uh, so I'm trying to think of the age, what maybe, uh, I don't know, we'd have to, uh, early teens. Um, and an Australian boy had just moved to England. And I'd heard that this was happening. You know, the school had said there's two Australian boys coming. And I, this a heroic, I realised, I just realised you get a heroic story here. But my friend, my uh, friend Atma, he tells it better than me. I was, I was walking up the stairs and there was one of these sort of tough guy kind of characters, a real bully, had hold of this, this boy. He'd only just arrived, you know. He's, he's probably wondering where the sun's gone. You know, he's just arrived in freezing cold um, in England and been sent to school. Never, never worn a suit before and, you know, had sort of school uniform and had to put a tie on. And there he was. With, and it was just, it was holding him up against a window, and he had sort of henchmen around him, you know, as some school bullies do have. And I saw this going on. I thought, no, this isn't, this isn't a good plan. And I remember I loved martial arts since I was young, but I knew this was going to be trouble, and I knew I had to sort of, if I was going to help this, um, this this young lad, I was going to have to use my mind a lot. So uh, I said to him, hey, oh, no, no, listen, you can't do that. And I said, well, what, what do you mean? You know, um, I said, I, myself, me, I have no personal objection to you attacking or bullying people, but it's my shoes. They're, they're far more straight laced. Do you get the joke? Yeah. And they're actually sort of robotic. They're programmed. It's some kind of new thing to prevent any form of violence against people in the school. It's just something I can't control. So that was enough, this crazy story that it distracted them. But they, 
they start to actually hit him um, after sort of a, a few moments. And it was almost like a for me. And I said, oh, no, now you've triggered them. So I was very flexible. So I started kicking this bully saying, no, no, I can't, you know, I can't control what's happening here. And he started hitting me back. My shoes, they're, they're, they've got a life of their own. It's like they're haunted. They can't stand bullying. So I ended up sort of chasing him around. And I, I did get a bit hurt in that process. But that boy, whose name, uh, at the time, his name was Joss Ginn. He's now a, 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 a Swami, Swami Atmagyanam. He and I became the closest friends you can imagine. And Atma has spent his whole life searching the, uh, the Indian traditions. Um, actually, he's got a more broad focus, but he looks at everything through the Indian traditions. So we trained martial arts together from that moment onwards. And um, we, we'd go to four classes in an evening, get up, meet, go to school, train martial arts, go through school. And then they gave, let us use the school um, hall at lunchtime to train martial arts. And then, you know, by the time we'd done a few years of this, We'd go, we'd, we won the gold, it was either me or him winning the gold medals at the sort of national championships together. But we were always just fascinated by the spirituality behind these or traditions. And what Atma and I share and amplify in each other is the want to see things exactly as they really are, especially in terms of these things. So it's very exciting when you hear people talk about different colors and traditions and techniques and everything. But what does this underlying thing really look like? So this Chinese call it chi, the Koreans call it ki, or the Japanese call it ki as well. It's knuma to the Greeks, it's prana. But what does it look like? How does it behave? What's the real nature of this energy in our breath? And we would pressure test everything. Yeah, so anything we got taught, we'd find out if it was true. Uh, there was a set of techniques in our martial arts manual that um, said if you sat meditating in certain positions, you'd have the strength of seven men. So we tried it and didn't. So we went to the grandmaster when he came over from Korea and said, this doesn't work. Show us, show us what we're doing wrong. Um, I, I might have mentioned in the previous uh, podcast, do forgive me if I, 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 I did. There are techniques which where you're meant to be able to knock out a person. You remember this. And yes, they. Um, we tried it and it didn't work. We couldn't knock ourselves. We couldn't knock anyone else out by hitting the point on the, the wrist. So we went to a acupuncture. We, we asked the teacher and they said, oh, it's the accuracy. You've got to get it. It's absolutely right on. So we went and paid an acupuncturist and then got a hammer and hit straight on that point. It still didn't work. So we have taken this mentality forwards in our life. And it's, it's a continual ongoing thing. And because of this relationship, you know, I haven't had to read every Veda and Upanishad or Tantric text because he has 
and then summarized <laughs> and the opposite from the western tradition and we're very different characters naturally but um what's is he what's very important here is having a genuine person on the same search as you are with you now there are some differences so atma is far more focused on living in harmony and living in oneness and gaining insights i'm far more focused on ability to do something ability to use these for ability to uh, develop yourself in order to achieve excellence in life but excellence and harmony combined work really well excellence through harmony so yes and if you if you if anyone listening to this wants to learn genuine yoga practice so if you were to go to what is the mechanism how does it work how does it move you towards that that oneness with life and oneness in yourself uh, that's that's the man to go and see um have a look at swami atmagyanam he, he runs the yoga tree in in norwich and, and and in this kind of dynamic relationship disagreements on things are as important as agreements there are areas where we can we don't see things quite the same i as a character i'm subject to reverie i suppose i go through stages of great overwhelming inspiration when i realize something or i have an insight or there's a deep meditation or i'll have the there'll be some connection for the next three months it's very hard for people to get me to engage with other things ah i'll just be standing thinking <laughs> sometimes and having a someone there who's um there to say come on what's going on or to help, help keep you keep you there um in the world this is this is a, a powerful powerful thing now i mentioned i mentioned um, martial arts a few times and now it's time for your next encounter Bo Umanda. Bo uh, lives in Norwich and she's a, um, a Chinese immigrant who trained in a boarding school for martial arts in China. Her specialist focus uh, is in um, the, the, the internal arts. She's an acupuncturist and a herbalist, uh, and does the massage. And she um, she takes small numbers of students to teach Tai Chi and Qigong and uh, some of the uh, other uh, internal styles. I was a direct student of Bo for many years. And I found that her presence taught as much as her her words. I, I went to Bo initially um, to to learn certain Qigong styles. Um, whenever um, 
I get to a point in my training, I think I mentioned my training is from the works of Franz Baden. Whenever I get to a point where it's a little bit slow or whereby I think maybe, maybe I'm not quite getting this, I'll search out someone who's a specialist in this area. So you can imagine how, how wonderful this is. Bo taught me that a, a large amount of my potential, I was actually holding back myself. It was like a, sometimes when people are lifting things, they tense so hard that the, the muscles that are lifty muscles and the muscles which are pulley muscles <laughs> are working against each other. So you're not trying to overcome the weight, you're trying to overcome your own muscles. That a lot of these things were already there. And that what was happening is I was training every day. So I, I trained for two hours every day, and I still do. But I was training, and some of it was genuine improvement. Some of it was allowing myself to take more responsibility, allowing myself to, to feel like I could have that mastery over things. During the time uh, with under Bo's tuition, I learned to work with how things actually are and not how I wanted them to be. And that sounds like a, a strange thing to, uh, to say, but I, I think I used to do a lot of things which were based on my perception of how things should function. You know, try to uh, wasted hours of my life trying to talk mad people into being sane or nasty people into being pleasant actually trying to reason with with stuff when you you may as well you know be asking the tides to uh, to uh, do your bidding i i made me realize that actually sometimes i was trying to rationalize with someone who it's going to take 400 hours of therapy to solve what's going on or I was trying to function in society that a different rule set than I expected. Uh, so learning to see the patterns and learning to work with things and learning to connect with the heart. Bo is um, amazingly skilled, amazingly skilled. And watching her, if you show her martial art movement, it's very rare you'd have to show her twice. And her, her ability to water the right plants in life, uh, this, is, this is superb. When I was um, training under, I was a sort of a young man. I was a martial arts champion, a black belt, and she's very light build compared to me. You know, I lift weights every day. I can remember in Tai Chi, they do push hands. Uh, I know you're aware of this, but some people aren't. This is a pushing technique. I remember I thought, let's see. Let's actually try and see what, what would it be like to, to actually try this against a, a top level Tai Chi practitioner. And, you know, I was young and perhaps not as respectful as you, you know, I, 
I should have been. So we're training together. We start this and I said, let's, let's have a, a competition. And you can see her thinking, oh, I'd rather not. So we start to push hands and it's training. She's got like a little training hall in her house. And I was rather amazed very early on, actually, what force there was behind her counters. So I didn't really know pushing hands so much, but I knew other martial arts. So I suppose what I was trying to do was to try to, there's things like double palm strikes and things. And I was trying to do that with a bit more gusto, but with less impact. And there's one particular point, she made a movement where I'm pushing forwards and she pushed on my belly and my feet came up. So it's like horizontal for a second and then fell on the floor. After a few things like this, after these really big and they're very quite dramatic, again, you know, as a young man and um, felt humiliated, I thought, right. And I moved from a mindset of let's test, let's see, to must defeat Bo, must defeat, <laughs> must defeat her. And I was amazed to discover that that actually wasn't possible. It was not possible for me, with all my strength, you know, and big body weight and lifting, you know, every day, it was not possible for me to sort of manhandle or cheat. And, you know, my all the rules disappeared by then. I thought if I grabbed her and pulled her or I shook her or something, something would happen. And I discovered a lot there. I discovered a lot because being moving with what I was doing but then taking advantage of opportunity, remaining in the moment. This is a, a big thing, uh, a big thing that uh, I think uh, I, it changed my view of things in, in, um, from, from then onwards. So again, if you, if you want to, if someone's listened to this and they want to learn genuine uh, Chinese eternal arts, Bo might I mean, she normally doesn't take on students, but she might be uh, a, a, a possibility there. So if we start to carry on with our encounters, now you've met the yogi and you've met the Tai Chi master. In, um, in our life, the people we love makes a big, big difference. I think it was pseudo Dionysus said that the nature of love is to transform men into what they love. And I, I really think that's true. I think if you you love watching violent things on television, you you do become more violent. Yeah. I think if you you love eating high calorie food, you become more high calorie, you know. I think if you um you like getting drunk. In fact, you've probably met some people who've taken a drug of some type, whether it be caffeine or alcohol or or whatever. They're they're more like it permanently. It's become part of their personality. That they've been practicing being drunk so much in their spare time that they're drunk all the time. But the people you fall in love with, that does have a big influence, and that some people are more moved by this and others you know i've seen people where their whole political vision 
shifts. They fall in love with someone and, you know, a few weeks later, they're, they're following their, their religion or their, their particular point of view. Now, unfortunately, in our society, it's not the done thing to talk too much in positive terms about your the people that you have loved in the past. It's, you know, it, it confuses people. But I have learned a lot um, from my past relationships, from a past marriage, and from really positive things. Now, my my present love, my true love, Kindra. People listening to this uh, podcast may or may not be aware of Kindra Jones. Um, she was when I met her, uh, Kitty to her friends. Now, Kindra folks, she has had a big and dramatic change on me and led to some real big breakthroughs. So when I, when I met uh, Kitty, I was living in a log cabin on their private land and I, I owned some weights, some books, and three sets of clothes, and you know, and all the stuff you need for life in a log cabin. Yeah. I wake up in the morning every morning and I swim across the lake and sit on the other side of the lake and practice my meditation. I was living the life of a monk. Now I didn't realize it then, but there were some gaps in my vision of things. I was so interested in what I higher attainment that I was rejecting the vast majority of things from the material world. If you talk to me philosophically, I'd have said, yes, I believe as above, so below, all things are one. But my heart didn't believe that. And probably my ascetic training was getting a bit too, too dedicated because anything that got in the way of my practice, I'd eliminate. Now, I still keep to many of the principles from then. I, I don't watch television uh, at all. It takes a lot to make me go to the cinema or something like that. It, entertainment has to be an exception has to be exceptional. I think I think we get so pulled into these things that they become replacements for real stuff. Uh, but in that circumstance, it probably gone quite to the extreme. And food was fuel during that time. I just sort of stock up on what would actually nutritionally work, and then just carry on with life. something happened when I fell in love and Kitty's got a, a natural enlightenment to her. All things are, are special. All things have a kind of resonance to them. And I thought this was a seed, this idea of unity of, it, it took, that love to sort of maybe stop building a, 
a fortress in my heart and in as my practice to sort of I was making myself solid and powerful that nothing could overcome what I was trying to do or get in the way to start building a palace so it made me realize that if all things are born of consciousness then the, the material objects are as the same as thoughts you know they've got their they've got their own resonance so through this relationship i've started to increasingly get, get gain this vision of oneness and it's hard to put into words but increasingly i see a lot more i realized i was trying to see and succeeding but i was focusing on seeing what's hidden beyond but i wasn't seeing what was straight in front of me and that all words are incantations or mantras or spells all objects are talismans or uh, amulets the everything you do has got a, a ritual the clothing you 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 wear has a uh, an effect a big effect on um um in the same sense as the clothing you put on for for practice or for for ritual she could the world joined for me and i i think my my heart engaged in a in a, a different level so the next sort of extraordinary person would be kitty now let me tell you a little bit why she's got these skills kitty's a historian who teaches through the objects and clothing of the day so if you went to a class you know or a workshop with her she'd be dressed as the knight and she'd uh, and tell you about the weapons and tell you about things or she'd be dressed as the uh you know the edwardian or uh, elizabethan lady so i think the resonance of objects the resonance of things the color the beauty the engagement the celebration of everything um she's from a you know the italian her heritage um and you can imagine you know so just to so you can visualize i i don't eat anything but what most people would classify as health food you, you, there's, there's no circumstance you'd see me eat cake or sweets or something like that this would, would not happen this is certainly not true of uh, of kitty <laughs> you can imagine you know her it, italian easter celebration my family never celebrated anything like easter it was a bit of a surprise to me yeah uh, so i think this has been a very great balancing force and um it's made me feel like i could do anything and it may seem like a strange thing people are watching this saying that this man who's you know, controls his body temperature or meditates in Sahara, you know, someone made him feel he could do anything. When I was at school, my teacher, my art teacher said, look me in the eye and said, Martin, no one will ever pay for anything you ever draw. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't one of those extraordinary people. <clears throat> it's because I said to him, I, I might, well, I, I'd like to be a comic book artist. And they were, oh, no, no, you will never 
ever ever do that. We were in um, in Italy, and Kinder's family home is up there in the in the mountains there near. It's a it's an area called Arapino. Uh, that's the name of the village. And they had a grave there, they had a legendary grave. They say that the god Saturn is buried there. So can you imagine, you know, I had to find this. Yes, had to find this. And everything is adventure with Kitty. And we have climbed volcanoes, crawled through glaciers, gone through underground catacombs, which are reconstructions of Hades. But I actually lost her in that what, catacomb. Yeah. This is too adventurous. Yeah, swam with sharks and got we got into uh, with there's this certain um temples in Sri Lanka which are said to be cursed. And of course she said, Well, I want to see, I want to see this. Like, oh we want to go somewhere that the local practice is saying cursed, Kitty. Yes, I want to see what it's like. So, yes, so we've had so many adventures one of the adventures was finding this tomb and you know i told you i'm subject to inspiration i i spent a year thinking about the death of saturn well saturn the god of death death dies in that alchemical there was something in there that ate at me and led to a great insight i drew a, a set of cards based on it i couldn't express in words the insight that finally came forth it was kitty said yes do that draw them we'll make that set of cards so i think many, many of the heart-based things that perhaps that's where you know um i i, I um i needed a, a bit of inspiration so yeah she's She's a remarkable person and has been a, uh, a remarkable influence. So our next, our next remarkable person, uh, extraordinary person, I think you have talked to yourself. Stephen K. Hayes. So here's an important thing to start this with. One of these side quests, you know, so everything's based on on this book, on Franz Barden's Initiation of Metics. Well, actually, on all three books, you know, Initiation of Metics, Practice of Magical Evocation, and the Key to the True Kabbalah. One of these side quests, luckily, took me uh, into the presence of Stephen Hayes. And here's a very, very important thing to say, Stephen. Hayes is the real thing. So if there's anyone you could ever encounter in life who represents genuinely doing it, it's him. So let's imagine, let's talk in terms of Buddhism. It's very easy for us as humans to get distracted. Someone says, Here's the Buddhist teaching on how you can uh, purify yourself and correct the mind and achieve a higher state of consciousness. And people say, certainly, where did that come from? And they say, oh, this is originally from a, a Chinese document. You say, and which type of Chinese document? You say, oh, this is from the, the Heart Sutra or the Lotus Sutra or whatever. So, right, really. And people get interested in the distinction of where it's from, what it's doing, who said it, what colour it's got, and what the distinct message and what the historical variations are. 
Now, that's very good. If you talk to Stephen Hayes, he knows all these. But he's looking at how to do it as an instruction manual. How to really do it. And in a world where so many people are moved by status and position and whose approval they're going to get and how much money they're going to do and all that kind of thing. There's there's a beautiful results-based clear vision in, in that man's consciousness. And I found that every single moment in his presence led to life-changing insights. So I can say without a shadow of a doubt, before I went there, I hadn't fully, and this is going to sound absolutely crazy, established a plan for what I was trying to do in life. So I had a vague inclination towards what I hoped would happen. But there was no self-direction in the sense of really thinking through what am I doing that's going to cause that? Cause and effect was was there, but it wasn't there. And this is hard to express. You've probably had this. Everyone listening to this at some point has had an insight, which is when something fully sinks in. And then you could try to tell people, you say, I didn't realise this before, but this. And people say, yeah, I know that. You say, no, 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 no. I knew that, but I now I know that. I thought there were more rules to how things could be done. I thought there were preset ways of achieving things. The brilliance of just being able to look at what are you trying to make happen? How can you make that happen? And I could only start to see it through initially through martial arts, where a lot of martial arts are like a, a historical reenactment. You know, so you're moving like you've got samurai armor on, fighting against someone who's got a stick. Actually, sort of, how are we going to do this? Uh, this was an amazing, amazing experience to have. And some of the sentences, you know, I can still hear them just cut through, cut through in, in my mind uh, to the point where like planting a seed many years later it's still there one thing i hadn't done is look at the people who were talking with authority uh, before then to see could they do what they were claiming to do so if they're a teacher you know were they relying on saying this tradition is behind me this tradition is great therefore you should listen to me or I'm this person's student, you should listen to me, or this is in this ancient document, listen to me, or I've memorized this information, listen to me. You want to see, you want to make sure your fitness instructor is good and fit. You want to make sure that the, the person, your tutor, can pass the exam they're trying to get you to do. Uh, it, it's a very important thing to, to look for results and have a clear idea of what you're going in uh, to. What, what are you trying to achieve? many people have got confusions with that I had, a, I had a big insight on that subject i was once at a seminar with stephen hayes and people had paid a huge amount of money to fly over to see him and then they paid a fee to be there 
and they'd bought their own lunch and they'd got prepared and everything and everyone's training. And I noticed groups of people when he wasn't looking, <sighs> relaxing. And then when he came back, they'd be like, yeah, no, I was training all the time. And the attitude was kind of like, ha ha, we've managed to you know, get one up here. And I thought, how utterly strange is that? So you have paid to fly over to the other side of the globe, paid to be there, got yourself ready, and you think you're winning by not paying attention. What confusion and conflict must be going on in the consciousness there? I mean, if you really wanted to catch him out, you could have just sent him the money and stayed at home, pretending to be ill. So, yeah, sometimes it's these moments where you see, you know, these things and uh, sort of uh, stands out there. Stephen is on the search all the time, always improving, always learning from different sources and from different people. And the many critics you'll hear, many critics, and often they try to inverse the goal. You know, so they say, ah, oh, you know, that's that Stephen Hayes is only interested in uh doing this or any interest in doing that and the things they'll list are the things that they themselves would like to achieve so um i suppose what i'm saying is there might be a little bit of um white noise around some of the the teachings there uh be absolutely aware that this is you know a a sign of the genuineness not anything else uh, people can be intimidated by greatness and this man is genuine if you live in america and you're interested in the kind of subjects we talk about on this podcast you should look up a stephen hayes seminar uh, it's not just martial arts he's teaching buddhism and uh, you know he trained he was the bodyguard for the dalai lama for many years uh, have a look uh, listen to the other podcasts on this channel from him a genuine enlightened man and uh, we don't have much opportunity to talk to people like like that or listen to them uh, so this is take this as a a big recommendation now i've i've talked about stephen I must be clear, I've had many teachers um, who have spent a lot of time on me um, without asking for much in return during my times in Japan. And it would be disrespectful not to mention that here. But I also want to say that the greatest examples I've seen there are examples where I've it's not been verbal so um I was once on a, a, a Yamabushi retreat and during this retreat time you you spend you know three well it's it's, it's almost four days fasting you know you stand under the waterfall twice a day they burn chili smoke instead of incense and you sit in a cave meditation it's a it's a place it's a real great hardships 
there was a Zen nun there and she was coming to train in a different tradition. And I could see on her body, there's signs of great injury from something in the past. But I watched her and she flowed through everything with joy. I couldn't believe it. So she hadn't got the memo about suffering. So everyone's standing in the waterfall, oh, you know, it's freezing cold, oh, do you do this and everything. At the end of it, it was just me and her, and she's under there. And if you look on her face, she's got the same face that you would see on a, if, if, you, if you left to a seven-year-old and eight-year-old next to a little waterfall in a park in England in the winter, and you say, I'll be back in a second, guys, I'm just going to get something. You come back and they'd be wet. You mean, what? What are you doing? And they said, you know, they'd have jumped in and out of the water and you'd be like, what? What are you thinking? It's, you know, she saw this in the same sense that the child would. In that we're going to go under a waterfall in winter. All right, then. OK, then. You crazy guys. Let's do it. Let's do it. And because of that joy, because of that sense of I don't believe we're doing this. Whereas everyone else was in there suffering and they, they knew the techniques, they knew the mantras, they knew how to heat the body up. She hadn't had any of this, but she was there for about the same time as the more experienced practitioners there. And so I, I position you know, myself so I can, you know, I'm, um, this is a specialist thing for me. So I'm able just at the end just to, be able to have a look and see who's remaining. And the whole trip was like that. She was bolt upright. When everyone was, everyone's all oh, tired and oh no, it's time to meditate and everything. She's like, we're burning chili smoke. Are we really doing this? And you know, the teachers who have done this long, they can turn all the responses off. She didn't, she couldn't do that. But she was like, <laughs> through the whole thing. And it was superb to see. And everything she did was done to the letter i watched her practicing now first of all let me be clear the japanese people in general are far 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 more fastidious than we are if you watch a japanese teenage boy putting something in the bin he takes the objects and he'll scritch them down and he'll make sure they're scritching he'll just put them in there and there's something that needs to be put in there you know let's let's say if um, if i gave you a bird box and said put that in the in the in the, the the bin you just put it in there they wouldn't they'd take it apart and take the nails out and sort it and put it in a nice little pile and it's not just that everything is more fastidious but watching this zen nun doing everything woke me up in a way i just cannot describe because when she was talking it was rhetorical training and eloquence lessons when she was listening it was active listening in a, in a way i'd never seen before i saw her sign her name at the end and it was calligraphy now it's really hard for me to get across because it took ages for me to realize till afterwards but there was a vision of something I saw in just her mundane movements 
that made me realize that the mystery I started working on when I was in the the answer to the mystery in the, the of the playground. There's something not engaged in in uh, humans, which uh, there's a level of engagement, dedication, and focus which is possible, which we're not quite reaching normally, and it's where we should be. If you look at the progression of of life when you start off in your baby you're not very aware at all you know you're doing random movements you're just trying to suss out what's you and what isn't yeah um then you move to other forms of play which is you learning in different ways so your awareness is growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and then you start to move to there are different stages of play there's play on there's play on your own there's play associated with someone else so you're playing next to each other and there's playing with the person all these stages are natural stages of awareness what happens in our societies we get to a point where we think that's the end you're an adult that is not the end we're keeping ourselves in a state of undeveloped-ness. Uh, we're we're not we're not there miyuki had found where we should be going now what is keeping us there um we could have a whole other podcast why are we not reaching that full potential and we know we're not we know we're not that's why we're designing all these meditations and mindfulness and so on we know that we could there well she's there i saw her hoovering a room at the end you know so everyone else is doing it i saw her her hoovering and the precision of it i'd never seen anything like it enlightened hoovering everything calm everything centered everything precise i saw her watch things so you know when when there's something that needed to be done yeah so we'd we'd have a look and um we'd think oh, I've got to do that in a while oh that's vaguely what happens and that's the routine and she'd memorize that what was about to come up perfectly she'd actually really do it um so she was a uh, a great influence on me um another practitioner who I don't even know the name of Often when I go in these retreats, I spend another few weeks on my own. You know, it's a it's a routine I've got together, and you can you can actually you can pack some food. I've actually found out some of the traditional recipes for if you want to go wandering around the mountains. And some chance encounters sometimes make a big difference. You know, so you can, as you probably observed, I'm a watcher of people. I'm a watcher of people. And sometimes watching some of the, there's actually a practitioner there who is homeless, who's a genuine practitioner out there, just seeing the level of engagement. This, this is a shunned person. This is a person who's not part of in the groups. Watching how he did his meditation, sitting in that environment, following that state of consciousness. This is a very, a very big, big thing to, to see but it's time to move from the mystical mountains 
to hear and from um, a higher state of consciousness through um, Zen realization to a kind of realization in life. One of my best friends and closest allies is a man called Duncan Mee. Duncan um, is a member of my Masonic Lodge and he's um, been a wonderful inspiration to me since the moment I met him. He's a detective for a living, a corporate detective. And Duncan is very evidential based. So a lot of the things that, you know, I'm excited by and talk about are a bit far out, you know, in, 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 you know, he'll talk about them, but he wants to get to the, what can you see? What, what's the, the truth in this? If you observe Duncan, However, he has got some very significant, powerful traits, which are different than most people, which makes him more effective in the world. So first and foremost, you'd never see Duncan complain against unavoidable trivialities. So you'd never have a conversation where he'd say, oh, it's very cold this winter. It's always cold in winter, you know, or oh, it's a very long way to go to walk from this place to another. Either you're walking it or you're not. And that same kind of attitude, which is an attitude of overcoming, pervades through everything. So when something, and maybe it's due to his work or maybe he's moved into that work area, but if something goes that would really throw most people, if there's a disaster, it wouldn't move him at all. So um, he's not the least bit intimidated by the challenges of life. That's, that's, I think that's the thing to say. So. And his whole life is training. And it's nothing, nothing to do with any, he's got no influences from any of the things we're talking about. But the reason I put him here in this list is he's a kind of, I think if we could get Miyoki and him together, it'd be very good. If you, if you walk through London with Duncan, he, every, every route, he runs. Runs all the way down the stairs into the tube, jumps on the tube, gets out, runs back out for his shortcuts and everything. He knows this. Why was his training for his work? He might need to follow someone or get away from someone. Everything is investigation. He wants to know about it. He'll talk to every person he meets, uh, genuinely. And he, he, he would talk to, you know, the person begging on the street, to the, you know, if there's a, a member of the royal family, he'll walk up and say hello. And he is genuinely interested in people, but he observes a lot more. He sees little things. Now, it's not like a Sherlock Holmes thing. He's not saying, oh, I saw, you know, like the, uh, the scuff on the inside of that route. It's a lot more um, du direct uh, than that. He's just paying attention to what's going on. And likewise, his heart is more engaged. So um, here's a real experience that it really woke me up. 
one of our friends was ill. And the doctors had said, there's nothing you can do about this. And, he, and Duncan says, right, is that really true? Have you had a second opinion? Have you done this? And he went and did the research, really looked into it, spent a lot of time doing uh, and found out, no, it's not true. And this is a real serious condition. And it made me that kind of always fight something, yeah? If you've got, if you've got an illness, you know, if you break your arm, soon as it's back, Duncan would be exercising it. In fact, that, that, I've seen that happen. Duncan would be on to that. You want to find something out, explore it from every single angle. Now, when I first met Duncan, we'd see each other, you know, uh, every few weeks in London. And there were all, we were always coming up with challenges for each other, which were kind of, they probably were either Sherlock Holmes challenges or they were sort of um, challenges to do with um, your ability to, to achieve things, really. So he'd say, right, there's a private party, Martin, over there, get us in. You know, so this would be in the evening in London. And I think, well, I don't even know. So I had to learn to think like, like a detective. And that kind of um, insightful contemplation and ability to understand things, uh, this is a really big thing. And almost um, that, that spirit, you know, um, of um, just, just to do it spirit. So for Duncan, there's, there's probably no afterlife. But, you know, there's a lot of these other things, but you don't need it. He doesn't need that, um, that, that kind of stuff to fully live life, to fully live life. And um, Duncan has actually made a bit of an impact on, on the world that you can see. Um, him and his brother bought Dartmoor Safari Park. And they made a movie um, called um, We Bought a Zoo. Uh, I think Thomas Heyman Church paid Duncan. They turned him into a, a uh, an accountant, which is a bit of a pity because the real man is one of the most impressive people I've ever met. And um, actually, I'm, I'm realising maybe we should get him to meet Stephen Hayes as well because the same kind of skill set of make what you want happen uh, or find out what you want I mean, I'd have no doubt, for, you know, this is the agency, um, Cerberus is his detective agency. If you employed them to find out information about a commercial competitor or find out, um, you know, if uh, someone was uh, violating your uh, copyright or, or something like that, they would they'd do that because... Under him, of course, they've got all these people who are apprenticeships, <laughs> who've got the same mindset and have got the same lateral thinking and the same insight and the same challenge. I've seen him solve circumstances uh, just as a in, in his life that we'd most of us would give up on. You know, um, that, that we're late for a, a plane. Uh, you know, there's been some avoidable circumstance, and the uh, 
they're, they're already saying, you know, the gate's closing. If you were with Duncan, you'd see, you know, he'd find the name of the person who was the decision maker. He'd see it on the board at the background. He'd tell the person to call them or that they had talked to them. He'd manage to get you onto the plane. They'd, they'd be putting the uh, the ladder back out. So, um, yeah, I think that apprenticeship and I think the contrast to my approach to things is is spectacular uh the i don't tend to like aids for things so i don't i find it very uncomfortable sitting on a meditation cushion i think you need a cushion you know what if i'm outside do i want to be carrying a cushion around i want my body to have that ability seeing him use technology seeing him use insight use specious knowledge use use awareness of the area dung is like a, a tourist of the of the world there's nothing there's a new invention he'd love to have a look at it but this is a different type of food you'd love to have it um it's beyond limitation of culture and i think he'd wander into any country anywhere and find a way to thrive is beyond restriction of the mind as to you know i'm not that kind of person uh he's whatever kind of person actually gets that job done in that moment and i would i'd never seen the level of dedicated loyalty and friendship with with gusto that he, he's you know um, he has so it's been a, a big influence and um maybe maybe seeing someone uh, i said i'm very contemplative whose approach is just solve this just solve this and just sort this and or get all the information you know and find a solution this has been a, a really important and positive thing uh for me in in my life Okay, so now we come to some honourable mentions. There are some people in my life who I, I pop in on, or they pop in on me. And they're of great influence um, in my life, but they're of, but I, I don't talk to them often. And some of them, I'm going to mention in a way that people who know will know. So there is a, um, a member of the English aristocracy. I think that'd be a good way to describe it, who has explored almost all of the spiritual paths possible. And that person is a, an ally and a friend to me and someone I really listen to, really listen to because their words are seeds. There's someone else who owns uh, a esoteric bookshop that many people go to talk to. A lot of them talk to her. I always make sure I listen to her 
now we've moved from areas of honourable mentions, there are other teachers who they're too, they're traditional in their, their approach to things. Many people watching this will be aware at a certain point in my training, I went to the, the Czech Republic, probably aware of this. So the two biggest influences on my life, uh, probably from their form of um, my training, are Franz Baden and um, Giordano Bruno. And we can talk about Franz Baden and Giordano Bruno a little bit later on. We can talk about people who've influenced me in a, a way that um, I, I can't quite describe, who are no longer physically present here. Franz Baden, I, has been the greatest blessing and it's actually through the practice of the exercises that his books contain that I've learned the most and everything I've ever wanted in life has has come true um, and, and indeed the forms of success that I've rejected I thought I'm not interested in that, have also come true. <laughs> so everything's fallen into place. I really, I really do believe as I talk to you now, um, Steve, I'm living in eudaimonia. Uh, do, do you know that term? Yes. Okay. So it's, it's all, everything's, everything's flourishing. And for me, Franz Baden's books have had many different levels to them. I've read them again and again through the years and I follow the instructions absolutely precisely. So a lot of people with their training, they, they try to change the, the goal. They try to lighten the goal to rather than reach the limit. You know, it's a bit like a, you're, you're trying to jump over a, um, a hurdle and you just, you, you can put the hurdle down. Yeah. Um, We've all experienced it. You know, you will say, right, today I'm going to do this. And then you think, well, when I said this, I actually meant this. Or did I mean that? I meant that. Tomorrow will be this. Yes. So to, in order to make sure it's today, and it is this, I've always kept to the uh, um, to exercise to the letter. After my visit to the Czech Republic, I I gained for the first time in my life, a fully engaged teacher who is of the same set of practices or tradition. And I say tradition, I would argue that these, these exercises are, are universal. You'd find them, it's like an ink blot test. You can look at them and you could say these are uh, traditional hermetics. You could say they're Neoplatonic. You could say they're yogic. You could, you could do this. And um, this, this practitioner would most certainly rather never be mentioned. Yes. Um, certainly by name. Uh, but let's, let's give him a nice, let's anglicize him. Let's make him, um, let's, let's call him Oliver. Oliver taught me to view this book more like a, a training manual to start writing on it, to start making notes, to use it as a control book. 
he taught me to start writing at the each of, every, beginning of every year to really think, what is it I'm trying to achieve here? What are the goals for this year and how they fit into the big petition? To really take some time every year to meditate on this. And then to write this at the front of my diary. And then every single day of my life uh, to when I fill in my diary to do an assessment of those goals. You normally need three or four in a year. Because if you don't do that, the human mind, it's very easy for us to let go. Oliver taught me to take a vow um, uh, when I wanted to do something big and impressive and to, to have an object, have a, wear a necklace, have a, a ring, have a uh, bracelet and to, to view this like a quest, an exciting quest. And I found this was amazing for me. Now, I don't know, by the way, I don't know if this approach is his approach or the approach that was is taught in the Czech Republic for this kind of practice, or whether this is the approach, the key to my kingdom, because I know that the viewpoint of different people might may vary. And I, I have seen great empowerments and people just viewing things differently. And, you know, to make it a heroic quest, you know, like uh, Theseus or Psyche or whatever, for me may well be that that part of the approach taught me to embrace intellectual contemplation of things, to, to explore. Um, all my studies are always towards what the next goal is. But to move my intellectual training to a higher level and to, to challenge myself in terms of learning. Uh, this is, you know, uh, in, in terms of to see if all things are of ideas, then the ideas you formulate are very important. So before training under um, Oliver, I'd never memorized the syllogisms of logic or learn the different uh, forms of rhetorical discourse or, or anything like that. Um, to, uh, to read properly, um, when you read the book, make the notes as you go through either on the book or next of the really important points, then go through them when you've finished and then lock them in. Actually go through and think, right, what is this? What's can go through the book as well as I can in my memory? This is what happened. That's what happened. This is that point. This is what happened. Go through and really lock in what the purpose is. That surprised me. I realized I've been reading books and I'd read them a year later and I, I didn't understand the word of this. It was just, I was just I was too tired or not focused enough to focus on quality, not quantity. So you hear people say, you know, ah, um, oh, we went on this retreat and we did six or seven hours meditation a day. Well, yeah, there's certainly some benefits to doing that. I'm not saying it's a, a bad thing, but the focus shouldn't always be on how much, you know, um, about on quality of it. It's better to do five minutes of genuine, fully engaged training than it is to do five hours of drifting and resenting and thinking about other things. And the same with work. So this quality focus isn't natural for me. I tend to be more 
quantity based. So this is a really important working with someone who likes high quality everything, likes to know workmanship, likes to know detail, likes to have everything just so, only does things fully. Uh, this is another, you know, enlightenment experience. This is another wake up for me. Um, there's a tendency in some people to do things. Um, what's the easiest at the moment, at the time? Someone sends you an email and it's got a list of five things that all need to be answered. I used to answer the first two <laughs> and then they'd say, what about these? And then I'd answer those. And then we'd come to things. And I, I it was, you know, I was very busy. You know, I get a huge number of messages every day. I get sort of between 1600 emails every single day. There you go. And likewise, that, that's almost on the queue. There you go. I get lots of phone calls as well every day. Um, yes, lots of uh, Facebook messages. So I, I sit down, I do an hour emails and an hour other messages every single day. And I do this meditatively. So if someone sends me an email, I read all the points they've asked. And I also think, what else is going to be required for this to happen? What else do they need to know? So I try to answer that, make that single message a the most enlightened, in order message I can. Now, it's not, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So that instead of 10 emails, it's one. Uh, this focus on quality of work, not quantity of work, in our exercises as well, uh, making that, I, I, before this tuition, I thought a lot of things would become easy if I just kept doing them a lot. Now I've discovered or I learned that a bit like if I said to you, if I, I'm going to get a, a professional acrobat and I'm going to ask him or her about the, the most amazing, the highest level feats they perform, they say, no, it's never easy. Power lifters, they work up to their lift attempt and then they take a break because it's something they can only do at the peak of their ability if they've worked up to it certain times. A lot of these exercises are like that. I didn't realize that. I was waiting for them to become easy. Some things uh, while, you're, while you're here aren't going to become easy. It's learning to accept them in that state and learn to get that kind of peak uh, concentration and, and interest. You know, the Czech people, they have their own qualities as well and you can learn from that different culture they are wonderful wonderful you know the it used to be called bohemia well they've got that in their spirit but they've also they've got great control with it so they feel uh, emotion and they dedicate through things and if they say something it's going to be something they're going to do they do things with their their whole heart but their heart doesn't get out of control. And it's quite amazing to see. Um, it, it gives you context to these instructions. When they say, when Barden says, this is how it is, that is how it is. It's not vague. 
um, yeah, and you, you will find, or conversely, some of other cultures, they can't even visualize the rigor. So you say to them, you know, we have this conversation, so practice two hours every day. And then on Christmas, they're surprised that you do it. Or you come to the house and they're confused when every evening you're doing it. They can't visualize. They may, they don't, it's not they don't think you're truthful. It's just so foreign to them being living that kind of way. Um, but may I add, they, they'll have their things that they do every day instead. You know, they'll have things you know, they'll do every day, but not things that involve a, a push or a transformation. Okay, and now it's time for our uh, our final uh, teacher. So it, once again, from this um, this time in the the Czech Republic, um, there's a teacher there which. Uh, after Oliver and I had spent a lot of time working together in beautiful and subtle ways, he introduced me to, uh, I suppose it was his equivalent of Atma Gyanam. You know, I talked about my friend Atma. It was probably his equivalent there. Now, this teacher, this practitioner had, is a, a person that lives in nature, a person that has a, a beautiful approach to, to things from a natural point of view. And it's very hard to get to them. You know, you have to go for a big, big trek. And by the time you get out there, I mean, I don't know if you've seen some of the... Uh, if you've ever been in that kind of area of the world, it's, it feels like you're going into the realm of the fairies going into their woodlands. You know, it's quite amazing. There are areas of woodlands where no human's been looking after it. So you're kind of getting through bits of wood. If you've got, if you don't go the right way, you've got to crawl through holes and stuff. I want you to imagine if you and I spent some time together and we just did our best to be able to tune in all the time and to be able to see what we could feel and do and test it okay so so let's imagine this this is this is a real example i remember it wasn't me this person was talking to it was another person that had come to see them they're talking about the quality some stones have certain different resonances and he said to them do they okay if that's true, then let's just take some. So take this, you know, rose quartz and take this lapis lazuli. And we're just going to wrap them up in a very thin piece of uh, some leaves. And, you know, just wrap them shut. You know, a bit like you would find leaves, yeah? Okay, let's do four of them. Can anyone in this room tell which one's in where? Okay. All right, then. So no one here seems to be able to consistently do so. Can you find anyone on the planet who can? Can you practice long enough until you can? 
Okay. No, no, no. Throw away those books that say what the associations are. Throw away the associations that you're making from your eyes. You know, oh, this rose quartz represents love because it's, you know, no, none of that. They're in the leaves. Let's, let's get them. Let's get it down. Yeah. Every day. Let's do half an hour of it. Yeah. A lot of people are doing half and everything. Okay. What about the animals? Can you, can you feel what they're thinking? No, no, okay, well, let's just crowd everything out. Let's just, every day, let's spend half an hour just sitting here. What can we see? What can we feel? These elements, can you find different areas around here where you think you can feel them more? Okay, what can you do? What can you do together? Okay, this water is, can, can you tell which water has had this done to it? It hasn't. And this attitude of, constant training and repetition exploration it's it, it's it's very refreshing and very different now in environments where a lot of people would be scared to be caught out you know um i i get you know this causes trouble for me is sometimes as well because it's not on my radar but it's on other people's but some people wouldn't want to be able to get it wrong in front of people you know if you're i'm a great high priestess or i'm a you know, hierophant and so you say no you can't tell the difference between the stones here or you can't tell them between the water or you say you're at one with this element but you clearly when you're you're outside you you can't use it. You can't cool yourself in the hot and heat yourself in the cool or, you know, there's, uh, but this just doing it stuff. And for him, the exercises in books, and maybe realize they were like a starting pistol. So if someone just said to him, the planets have got different influences, bang, he'd just be out there find venus sit under venus's rays for an hour what can i feel what are the real influences can't feel anything let's try that for another three months <laughs> let's get to the point where i know where it is in the sky i can tell when it's rising okay brilliant let's do that consistently and test it to, you know am i getting right can i get this wrong let's sit are there anything behind different do the different constellations have a different thing behind them when I'm talking to a person, let's engage this kind of sense. So I, I had relentless, rigorous, daily training in this area for years on end. And it really is if someone said to you, right, I'm just going to, just, just, Martin, we're going to turn on a, a whole new layer of sense in your life. The radar's on. You know, when you, I'd be walking through the city, think, right, turn that off, <laughs> turn it off. But I think that genuineness, and I tell you, it made me realize that some people, they don't believe what they're saying. If they did believe what they're saying, they'd be so excited. They'd be sitting there waiting for Venus to come up or waiting for the, the constellation, uh, rather than sitting, you know, watching what's going on on, uh, in, on YouTube or uh, TikTok or whatever they'd be doing that that's far more exciting than any of these things now these two great teachers and it's a very important thing have spared no effort to teach me they waited till i got to a certain point in my training and they said okay never asked for anything at all in return 
anything. So, I mean, and that's what I mean, days and days, hours and hours of one-on-one tuition, never asked or accepted anything. And it was partly because of them, I started to realise something. I started to realise that I say no to students all the time. No, not interested, not interested. I was concerned about the responsibility and, and, and also um, about the, a lot of the social stuff. People want to talk a lot. And I, I don't. Conversely, you might not get the impression from this interview where you, my dear friend, haven't said anything but yes for the last hour. But, um, you know, I tend not to. A lot of the conversation people have, I think, why are we, why are we doing this? So I, I thought it would take up a lot of time. I thought it would be, uh, would take me off track. So I always said no. But I started to realize that I had become uh, a, a blockage, as it were. The tradition and these lessons weren't flowing through me. I was gathering them and not giving anything back. So this took me to the next stage. And this is where we get to some the extra, a different set of extraordinary people where I started to say, yes, if you want to learn, if you can see something I'm doing. That is the next step for you. Maybe it's in the exercise I practice, maybe it's in what I'm saying, maybe you can see my lifestyle, maybe there's something if you can see something. And this is aside from all titles, I want you to judge me clearly with a complete view if there's something you think he can't do it or he's not very good at that that's fine as well you know you can learn from my mistakes but if you generally think he's he's further along where i'm going um then yes there are if you're willing to put in the work you can i can show you why i've got here so i started to take on students and there's a strange thing with that. The students that will come are the ones which their challenges are your weaknesses. So if you're a very emotional person and you're needing to overcome that and maybe a little bit out of control with that, you will have students appear who are very emotionally dynamic and if you want to help them, you have to sort yourself out. They will it will be find your weak spot. If you're, um, you know, we talk about the too disciplined. If you are an ascetic and you're taking it to the edge, people who look up to what you're doing are often the people who they've got the same values. So they come to you and say, "Oh, I can see." You haven't eaten in, you know, nine days and I'm going to do the same. So teaching often you meet yourself and you, you need to balance things up. In reality, the teacher we probably should have is the one that's quite different to us. So we don't end up we, we tend to practice the things we find easy when in truth we should practice the things we find hardest. It's so easy if you're in a um, talented area to specialize in that because that it's very comfortable. But uh, going the opposite way and actually practicing your shortcomings. So, but because of nature, and you are also um, teaching, uh, teaches you to be humble. 
I realized very early on that the only way to generally do this was to want the person to be better than you. To actually to go past you. Because otherwise, there's little parts of your subconscious who are trying to keep you in the teacher and them in the student. And you keep viewing them like a student. You've got to view everyone like a star. You've got to make a constellation. You're on the journey together. And they'll have their own advantage. And you can learn from them. You can really learn from them. And yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really important thing. So you've got to go in that thinking, I, I want you to be better than me. I want you to get past me. I want you to stand on my shoulder so you can see further. And, and I will be your student when that happens. This is going to be superb. I found you had to you have to do that. So many of the remarkable people now that I meet are students um, of, of, of mine. And I can see the amazing changes they're making in their lives and the things they're doing. But let me let me end on this note. I like to think that I have an attitude of open to learning and keep the attitude of open to learning, no matter who it is or where it comes from. So um, I was once in that log cabin and I was cleaning up and I wasn't thinking about what I was doing, not fully. Uh, someone had brought their friends over and their children were there and I got a wet cloth and I started wiping the, I was about to wipe the floor, but you could see by the positioning, the plan was wipe the work surfaces, wipe the table, wipe, wipe the floor. And a little sort of like toddler, young girl said to me, don't do the floor first. I thought, and I felt like arguing back. I like saying, well, no, the reason for, my mind was trying to, but I thought, no, she's right. Don't do the floor first. I said, absolutely correct. I hope to be open to learn from all sources without pride or expectations getting in the way. Uh, whether it's, as I said, a, a toddler or a great guru or wonderful teacher who's celebrated. Uh, I don't want to get caught up um in in expectations or limitations so that concludes our journey through meetings with remarkable people have you got any thoughts reflections or questions steve it's been a a long conversation a, a yes long. yes it's been a long conversation but a fascinating one and i think you folded there into those stories in sometimes explicit ways and sometimes very subtle ways all kinds of layers of, of lessons uh, and insights that you've, you've picked up. I think it's a very valuable two hours of, um, of uh, story and explicit teaching that you've shared. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. I could ask you many questions about each one of those, <laughs> but I think it wouldn't be the time to do it after such a long um, conversation. But if people did want to if they were, if this resonated with them, if they wanted to work with you, or perhaps contact you, something here struck them in some way, and they thought this particular thing or that particular thing, 
How could they get in touch with you? What's the best way to do that? Yes, absolutely. So there's my website, martinfolks.co.uk. Have a look at my YouTube, um, uh, but also almost every social media I'm on. But please um, have compassion. I, I get a lot of communication. and It's a lot of detailed stuff. So it's someone saying this big thing's happening and or that's happening or I want to share this thing with you. And I do respond to everyone. I actually do respond to everyone, no matter what, uh, unless they're being, you know, unless they're attacking me. Yeah. And, you know, this is another thing, you know, to say I have had, you know, stalkers and people have haunted me and people, who, you know, you do get people who get a bit fascinated and stuff. Um, you know, I do get troublesome people. But yeah, if, so if you send me a message, have patience. Nothing is instant in, in for me. I, I don't have, you know, Messenger or WhatsApp or anything set to give me alerts. So in that hour once a day, I work through everything oldest to new. And I try, if I make sure I give everyone a genuine answer from their position. If you think I'd like to train with Martin, uh, have a look at the Franz Barden books because that's the system. That is the system. Um, have a look at that, that you know that I, I practiced. Um, or have a look at some of the memory things. Um, uh, I don't know whether we've talked about Giordano Bruno much. We did we did last time? And yes. you're you're using his uh, system actually. Yeah, yeah. So Bruno and I have a very. Um, a very interesting relationship. So I was spending months and months on his memory system, reading his books again and again, have brought us very close, very close. But we've both got our own legends and our own ideas of things. And it's an interesting interaction going on. There are many things that Bruno taught that people have not seen yet. They can't see through his poetry. They can't see what he's trying to say. Uh, Bruno describes in a, a complete, completely overt way uh, the path of Neoplatonic ascent, meditation on higher things and how you can change your consciousness to reach there. He describes it in terms which are as specific and detailed as any yogic text. I mean, it's quite amazing. Um, but... You know, he does it through poetry. I mean, one of his books is actually love poetry. And love poetry is it's, it's all about meditation. He describes your posture. He describes how to control your mind. He describes how you can eliminate distracting thoughts and how to ascend. To, it really is quite amazing. So some of the interaction between Bruno and I, it means that some of this I've got to bring back. There were things he didn't finish or weren't completed or, weren't, or aren't understood. So you can have a look at some of that memory stuff. That might be something that may be inspiring and positive. And in a world where memory is being taken away, no one remembers a route on their route. Find, they use a sat nav. No one remembers telephone numbers. No one, uh, this can be a very powerful and empowering thing. So that might be something nice to have a look at on, on you know, my work on, on YouTube and, and so on like that. Or indeed, you could come to some of my talks. I'm often booked for talks on, on different different things. You come along and we can 
we can meet. Mm. You know, something you said there did spark a question. You mentioned you've had, you know, stalkers and haunters and mm. sort of that sort of thing. I wonder if um, I might ask you something about that. So, so, you know, in meetings with extraordinary or remarkable people, um, we, we were playing a little bit on, on, on the Gurdjieff yeah. uh, theme. Of course, a, a, an important theme is the enemies that one makes. Often mentors become enemies in these kinds of accounts. Mm-hmm. Or uh, fellow students become uh, nemesis. Yeah. <laughs> it sort of goes hand in hand with these kinds of. So, as you as you mentioned, stalkers and haunters and so on. It occurred to me that there's another side to this account. Maybe there isn't, but at least archetypally, there's another side to this account of the nemesis and of the enemies and of um, the, the the conflicts that one gets into with extraordinary people and. Conflicts with extraordinary people tend to be rather extraordinary and demanding conflicts. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, um, perhaps you uh, would not be willing to discuss that. That's fine. But I'm wondering if I was to ask you about that, what would your response be? Yes. So, yeah, let's let's talk about conflicts with people and conflicts with um, organizations or, or things and so on. Um, so let's be absolutely clear. First of all, um, compared to most people and compared to a lot of people, I've noticed I have far, far less. So it's quite easy um, for someone to, um, to to get rid of me. Yeah. So it never used to be. When I was young, I used to spend a lot of time trying to say, trying to convince people uh to to be nice when they're being mean <laughs> and uh, so on but nowadays yeah if someone gets a bit unpredictable and uh starts jumping around or getting angry i just leave them alone and and i don't i don't deal with unreasonable people unless i have to so i just leave them to get on with it and um a lot of things that cause a big conflict with people don't seem to for me. So I'll give you an example. I'm a member of an organization and there's a big decision, a big decision. They were going to sell their headquarters. And I thought we should keep it. But I understood why people thought we should sell it. And there were two sides of it. And in the end, they sold it. And most of the, not most, but many of the people who, like me, thought it would be nice to keep it, they got so upset that it bashed them out of shape their personalities changed and they were very unreasonable and um you know really got very hurt over it and now i felt hurt and I, I do feel hurt when things don't go in my direction but i think i'm more used to you know um stuff maybe i've got more of a detachment from stuff i think that um i think that i'm protected against a lot of things because there's always something very exciting happening in my life moving towards things so i think i'm protected from a lot of the hardships from stuff so i have i understand you know and please please don't take anything i'm saying here as disrespect towards anyone i fully understand if you put your heart into something if it doesn't go your way why it would really hurt um I found that in those circumstances, what I need is a tremendous sulk. 
So I find that if something someone upsets me or something hurts me, if instead of trying to I found just trying to correct the mind and everything, if I just go away and I I really just have a proper sulk on my own about it, a sulk which is so powerful, it's visible by from space. Then afterwards, I'm okay. I need to get it out of my system and so on. Um, often because of you know the YouTube channel, it's not a big YouTube channel compared to some people. So uh, you know we can only estimate what other people be dealing with. But there's there's five people watching it every minute. So you get some people who they look at the demonstration. And they're already a bit worried about life and they think, hmm. And sometimes they say something, they'll say, this is false. I get accused it's not camera tricks or things, or they just say something mean and they put it on there. And then the next day they think, oh, I saw that guy, you know, he was holding his breath for like five minutes underwater or he was sitting in the Sahara Desert or something. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have said something bad. He's going to curse me. He's going to hurt me. So he deletes. The, they'll delete the message. But then over the next few months, they'll start to get pretty sure I'm I'm up to something. I've, you know, I've sent some something to hurt them or something. So they start to do, you know, counter strikes against. They're fighting with a ghost. So I get that. I also get um, for some reason, there's, you know, obviously um, sometimes you'll get um, women who from watching videos get uh, come under the mistaken opinion that I'm charming or attractive in some way. It may be the, the light mistaken opinion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> if they knew me, they'd know that nothing could be further from the truth. No. Um, so sometimes you get people and they're a bit fascinated and mm -hmm. um, now we just need I'm always kind and compassionate with this because there are circumstances where most people have been fascinated by someone they've seen and often the person can be at a vulnerable stage in their life so maybe they've gone through a big divorce and they're living in Canada or um you know something like that and they've seen someone and they're talking about things they connect with and some things they connect with perhaps get mixed up with the person so they really they really love the teachings you know uh so now what i've found is to begin with i used to just treat those people like everyone else and i made mistakes i made mistakes so i used to you know they'd send a complicated thing and i'd send a video message back and I didn't realize at the time that for some people, the video message is such a big connection. Suddenly, oh my, this person's talking to me. They felt that's kind of started something. Mm -hmm. So a bit like the person who thinks that I'm cursing them, that person thinks there's a relationship has started that I'm not paying attention to. And they'll often interpret videos I make as being something about that relationship. So someone will send me a book and I'll say, wow, this is a brilliant book. Look at the beautiful heart-shaped symbols on the front. And that person thinks that's a message to me. You know, he, he means that. So the, and those people can become trouble 
they actually can become trouble because they start to feel rejected or confused and stuff like that. So what I've found now is that um, if someone is overtly aggressive or overtly amorous in their initial messages, they unfortunately need to be exceptions to my I respond to everyone. You've got to just leave them because there's nothing you can do. You can't convince the person that you're you're not doing i've tried you know i'm not cursing you or there isn't any hidden codes in my messages to do with our relationship that you've got to leave them alone and you're probably in a group of people they've probably got a few people that they feel there's something going on with now with with nemesis's arch enemies there are certain types of people i meet that i just don't get on with and um certain character types so one thing that gets under my skin a bit is if you judge people on their money or their status in society or by their race or their cultural background and it seems to be a cosmic law that in my life the needs there is someone who likes me and is sitting next to me often whose position is that, who cannot see, you know, so they'll be saying to me, of course, that person, you know, is terrible because they didn't do this and that person didn't go to the right place or that person. And I don't know what it is, but I've always got one of them. Now, um, strange thing, and they could, they could turn on me very quickly because I didn't go to the right place or I don't know the right things. And actually, I'm probably the worst person because I don't know. I don't know a lot of what's going on. Nowadays, people say, what about this person? And I say, who are they? And they say, it's one of the most famous rock stars on the planet, Martin. I say, oh. So what about this person? I say, I don't know who that is. They said, what? That person's in charge of this country. Oh, oh, are they? Are they? Okay. A lot of things just... You know, I don't read newspapers, don't watch television. A lot of things float past my life. So, you know, a lot of things. So now with everyone, I try to do my best for them. So unless they're actively attacking me or actively attacking someone else, I'm not going to take aggressive action. But I'm also not going to get rid of people around me who I disagree with. I think because that could mean they end up in a bubble. You know, the, the racist person or the people who disagree with that person disappear and there's still this racist groups reforming them. So I'll, I'll be there to sort of say, and not in a nasty way, um, and I'll, I'll judge it. Now, I used to, when I was younger, just to say things straight. Now I use timing. So let's imagine you and I, we're at a meal, everyone's a bit drunk. And somebody says some inappropriate things. Let's say it's a, a person who comes from a different era, says something and it's against someone because of their sexuality or their... In that moment, they say it, but I see some people are offended, but it moves on. The guy's drunk, he's in front of people. What I'll do is I won't say anything then, but I, I will wait and I'll probably go and see him. I'll go and see him. Hello, how are you doing? Lovely to see you. Wasn't that a lovely night? 
But then when it's me and him, so there's no audience to be humiliated in front of, I'll explain to him. And I'll say, listen, you probably didn't know this, but you made a joke. Yeah. And this was the joke. And these people were, were hurt by it. Be aware that's not the first time you tend to, when you get a bit drunk, make these jokes. Uh, don't know whether, you know, I know you feel like you're in a trusted environment, but part of that trusted environment is that, you know, pe people don't get exposed to that. And then we can talk it out. And that might be skillful. It might be a skillful way to do that. Sometimes it could be a philosophical approach. You know, they want to have a, the person is intellectually doing something or sometimes it's emotional. Uh, so I try to judge what could actually lead that person to the next step, because normally they're putting up a barrier themselves. You know, that person who I told you, you know, you as soon as that person moves on. I'll get another person who's just got a different face and they're the same person. But that person's like a puffer fish. The reason they're talking about all this status and stuff is they're, they're concerned. They're concerned. So maybe they need to feel a little bit reassured. Um, as far as there are people around me who I care about who make enemies and have giant feuds with them. And that's quite tricky. If one of your friends or members of your family ends up in a war with you know the man across the road and or something like that you want to defend them but you, oh, you don't end up having a war with some stranger on their behalf and or pulled into things so i try to find a balance with those those things you know a lot of the things we do we train by opposites you want to get strong you, you use something to weigh you down so often having someone who is the opposite around you a little bit can be can be good training. So I try to be polite to the rude person, compassionate to the judgmental. I tend to try to be a meditation on the opposite of what's what they need. Sorry, it's the opposite of what they've 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 got. I try to be what they need. So and that's that's a technique actually um, in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. And in Giordano's degree, Iroke Fiore, meditating on the on the virtue to overcome the vice. So I, I I make an attempt to do that, and I find it's better than any words. Um, I talk about skillful speaking, but often there's no you've, you've got a three percent chance of it working by talking to them. But if you set the example that can be a, a very good thing and an instant response is very very powerful so when someone says something how you respond it really leads the position so if someone says something admirable if you show them wow that's amazing but they say something a bit worrying and you're what you can show that where you look or what you do uh, this is a very powerful thing. Students, I have no students that have become enemies. I have students that have left and I, I make my school hard to join, easy to leave. I really don't want anyone there who doesn't want to be there. If they think, hey, this man's not what I'm after or this isn't working or the constellation isn't part of that's that's brilliant. And no hard feelings, no trouble.
Uh, same with you know authors. You know, I'm a publisher for a living. Uh, teachers. There are some teachers who are a bit incommunicative with me. And I don't know. I'm, I'm not absolutely sure. So it's a bit. I think yes. Here's this amazing thing. Do you remember this? Or this is something. And they're a bit meh. I think oh meh. It's a bit less than I'd kind of expected back. And maybe that's a bit of a funny thing. You know, I listed some people that I'm, you know, I'm not training with anymore. And maybe when I sort of move to the next step, you know, because because the mission is to get a specialist skill for my, they, they could feel a bit, or maybe they're just fully occupied with other people. Organisations, some people end up in wars, don't they? You know, they're a member of this society and the society doesn't do something or the society isn't what they want. And they end up in these big wars. Um, I never really had anything like that. And something I, I just leave anything I'm not connecting with or interested in and move to the next thing. So I think that that quite works. So yes, um, transforming transforming conflict doesn't exist as much in my life as other people's and, uh, and some people have really been transformed by things and I'm also aware so I've got to make this point I'm also aware I haven't had as tough experiences as some people have had so there are experiences I've had which were real challenge for me a uh, real challenge um uh to do with loss to do with people passing away, to do with pets that I really loved and they've gone through, you know, health problems and eventually, you know, died. It's real challenging stuff for me. Um, I'm, I'm very emotional with friends and I'm often confused that people I used to, do you know, do you know, Steve, this is, you'd be shocked by this. There are some people that I used to play with when I was six or seven who don't want to keep in touch anymore. Dumbfounds me. So, yes, it's often um, I've got friendship, which is still there, and I'll contact someone and they're a little bit. I've kind of moved on, Martin. Hmm. So I get that sometimes. So I think, yeah, so but I think I've had an easy ride compared to a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, and some of that is an interpretation. So some people I know have gone through exactly the same things as me. You know, my parents split up when I was young. And, you know, that was that was tough, but it looks like it was tougher for a lot of people. You know, that, that kind of thing. So, yes, not the, the conflict uh, hasn't been hasn't been so big for me. And uh, I'm quite a hard person to argue with. Yeah, you have to you'd have to go some to get ongoing interaction with people with me over something. Or there'd have to be a cash prize at the end. If we have an argument and I get to and when the winner gets a cash prize, then I might engage or something. Uh so, or some some reward. Um from outside, I've actually often wondered. I've seen people who've had a relationship with their teacher 
And it's been a really close, really wonderful, ongoing teacher-student relationship for many, many years. And they have had a giant falling out. And they're still teaching the martial art they've been learned or teaching the meditation style a lot. And the teacher is still teaching it and they don't speak anymore. And I've looked at that and I thought, how can you guys deal with that? That would break my heart. That would absolutely break my heart. I find it even hard to carry on doing the same thing. You know, I feel like, no, I'm not teaching, you know, uh, Shaolin Kung Fu if my can't if I can't teach if Shifu and I aren't, I, I'd find it too, too painful. I, I think it's amazing people carry on and overcome it. And I'd be wanting to restore harmony um, all the time. I'd be wanting to find somewhere where it was okay. Um, are these things you have observed yourself? Yes, of course. I think you're pointing to a pattern so classic. It's almost archetypal not inevitable. Um, it's not the only way the teacher-student relationship can go, of course not, but it's very, 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 very common. Okay, so uh, that's interesting. So that's not my, uh, nobody I've trained with, I don't think if I phoned them right now and said, hello, I'm coming over. I think that some of them would be surprised, think, oh, okay. But I don't think any of them wouldn't think, okay i'll make tea and if i call and say i'd like to stay over i'd like to because that, that's, that's a bigger imposition isn't it i think i think everyone i've ever trained with has got a good disposition towards me and vice versa and maybe i've been lucky maybe i'm good at choosing teachers and i think if, it, if i am good at choosing teachers it's because i've done so on ability so not what they're saying not what other people say, not what they look like, what they can actually do. That might be that. It might be. But, yeah. Yes, when I say it's very common, what I'm thinking of is famous teacher-student partnerships that have fractured in history, actually. I wasn't, I, I wasn't even thinking about my own life because I, I actually can't think of a similar fracture myself. Either. No, I wasn't implying your, yourself, but I do know. Yeah. I've seen, I've got friends who don't teach talk to their teacher anymore um yeah for one it's a bit like another. you, but you I mean, know when someone splits up from a relationship yeah you know, they, so if you were to have a snapshot of them in love in the middle of it you'd say you know oh she's the most wonderful woman in the world and she's so brilliant and we're soulmates and when they're finished you say ah oh, it was terrible <laughs> it's a terrible person you know we never had any fun at all for me, I often I can look back at the relationships and think that was great. And maybe but I've noticed with the teacher student, sometimes when it ends, that gets a bit like a an ex. They're like, oh, you know, they never. Well, yes. I mean, there, there are reasons for that are many. One of them is, of course, that as a student develops, um, they naturally they can outgrow the paradigm that you pointed to before the teacher student paradigm. Many teachers do not have a graduation um a graduation process mm. or or a possibility of graduation so the student is must no matter how competent or what advanced or whatever the metric is become they they can't go outside of that without breaking breaking it and that's the cause of great schisms so for so for one reason or another 
um, there can be a disagreement in in uh, understanding. This happens with great you know great historians or or, or scholars often not always, but can have a schism with their great mentors when they overturn the famous theory of their mentor yeah. with the training that the mentor provided. And there can be other reasons too, un, um, misunderstood slights of various kinds or previous experiences of the teacher that they think is happening again here and, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, childhood patterns of authority relationship and so on. So there can be many, many you know, um, other people whispering, po pouring poison into the ears of either the student or the teacher or both can um, produce a schism of some sort. So I think the, the, it's, it's more remarkable when such a schism doesn't happen, I think, and is to be applauded and savoured. It's not a common thing. It's like a marriage, a successful marriage is um, something to be savoured. And something to be prized and cherished, uh, not something to be taken for granted. A divorce, in a sense, of course, there are many reasons for divorce, and I'm not being judgmental, but there are many reasons for divorce. <laughs> it's almost it's almost the more probable outcome of two people coming together and attempting to something as special as marriage. So I think it's also the same for a teacher-student relationship. It's almost it's almost the more probable outcome that there'll be some sort of you know. So any, when that doesn't happen, I think it's remarkable and special and um, rare. But perhaps that's just my observe. I mean, I'm drawing that from my, my observations, observations. Yeah. yeah, of others, which is you asked me what have I observed. That's what yeah, I'm absolutely yes. So yes, and so we 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 said we would celebrate, um, like I said, those you know those people who are good at things tend to celebrate their successes really many times. And as you were saying just then, this is something to be celebrated. And today we've talked about just some of the people who have been real uplifts in my life and how I've learned more from them than I could ever from books or just on my own experience and still do, you know, still do. So, you know, to this, to this very day, I'll listen to how certain people I mentioned, you know, how they make their phone calls or how they there's isn't there was a, a 16th century cabalist that said i'm traveling to see my master to see how he puts his boots on <laughs> yeah to see the basics so and i think it's it's wonderful that people are willing to give time and experience uh, to help others but it's also just wonderful to have such great examples of people that we can we can look up to we can uh, emulate and aspire to yes it is it's been a pleasure martin to sit here today with you and celebrate yes. those Certainly. people that have been that, that have served that role for you thank you very much you're you're most appreciated it's it's been an honor being here thank you martin thank you for listening to another guru viking podcast for more interviews like these as well as articles videos and guided meditations visit www.guruviking.com